0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Where's This Going? I want to start off by first thanking my sponsor, U.S. Wellness Meats. All of their beef, lamb, bison, and dairy products are 100% grass-fed and grass-finished. They also offer pasture-raised heritage pork, free-range poultry, and wild-caught seafood. U.S. Wellness Meats has over 400 all-natural whole foods in their online store at uswellnessmeats.com. All of their foods are raised on family farms dedicated to sustainable and ethical principles. They do not use any pesticides, herbicides, antibiotics, growth hormones, or GMOs. The owners are the farmers themselves, and they supply nutrient-dense, all-natural foods to professional football and baseball teams, colleges, individual athletes at the highest levels of every sport, health professionals, respected gourmet chefs, fine dining establishments, and families all over the country in every single state, Canada, and Puerto Rico just looking for the best food on the planet. Use promo code podcast for 15% off at dot. Calm. And I also want to give a big shout-out to Manscaped. Support for Where's This Going comes from Manscaped, who is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for all of your family jewels. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their Lawn Mower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer will not snick or snag your nuts. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. Please do not use the same trimmer that you use on your face that you are using on. On your balls, that is just absolutely disgusting. Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver, an anti chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits, so why are you not putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? Get 20% off and free shipping with the code WTG at manscaped.com. Always use the right tools for the job. Your balls will thank you. That is code WTG for 20% off manscaped.com. My next guest has an incredibly interesting story. In 1984, Mr. Vincent Wade Robinson was convicted of murder and sentenced to life in prison based on a confession tortured out of him by Chicago police detectives. He spent 31 years in state prison teaching and working as an artist in every available medium, sharpening his skills for the day he would walk free. On August 14th, 2015, years after the proof of systematic torture and coercion by the Chicago Police Department was uncovered, Vincent was finally released. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my next guest, Vincent Wade Robinson. And we're live from Chicago here with Vincent Wade Robinson. Vincent, thank you for being here, man. Welcome. So, before we get all into the to the questions and to the, to the meat of it, is there something that we don't know about you?
1: That every day is a struggle for me. How so? By the way that society has changed, and the way that I view it.
0: How has? Society changed, I mean, other than, you know, the natural fact that back in the 80s is very different than today, technology and everything.
1: But the technology, it's making people not think no more. And I I, I look at it as such because I look at how much time that they put into this technology every day that could be put somewhere else to help advance.
0: Do you feel like you need to... I mean, you know, you have an iPhone in front of you. Do you still feel like you need to kind of keep up? But do you try to refrain as much as you can from being... I
1: use it for what it's designed for, communication. That's it, that's all.
0: And from a, you know, removing technology in terms of, like, everyday streets of Chicago, how has it changed from back in the 80s to, to now for you?
1: Well, back then, it wasn't so many youth killing youth because it was more or less, every community was like a family. And it's it's surprising how the mayor, back then, he actually was paying those so-called fractions of Chicago street gangs he's talking about with grants. And then started, as years went on, kept using them as his political agenda to strike fear in the people, the taxpayers of Chicago. But his grand design, after I've been gone for 31 years, I've read all his biographies and and I see that uh, it had come to what he visualized Chicago as because he had said that he wanted to become an educational mecca. And here I go 31 years later, that's all I see Downtown in the loop is nothing but schools. They either are schools or law schools, but they still schools. And the areas in which they took out the black community, it was a grand design to do that to further advance the colleges as well. Like UIC, the Woodlawn, and but in order for them to do that, these same so-called gangs that the mayor really started because he financed them, turned around and used it as a political stepping stone to really do build this city the way that he wanted it, and didn't care how because if you really open that can of worm, you'll see that majority of the the birds torture survivors are individuals that was in the community, and they was in, individuals that kept peace and stability in the community. It was a really a, a plan to just remove, neutralize all the leaders, and infiltrate the urban, what we call urban communities now, to what they have become. And they have dwindled away so much that is very little black communities left in the city of Chicago. And my, as I see it, it's gonna continue that route. And that's the part that really hurts me after 31 years of coming back. I see this systematic design that was created by the mayor of this city, whereas no, never did them guys that they have incarcerated. As being gang cheese from City of Chicago, ever thought that something they started in the neighborhood will evolve into becoming into every metropolitan city of the United States, which made them become more or less a threat to the safety and security of the United States now.
0: For you, I was gonna I was gonna ask you this maybe a little bit later on, but I think This is a good time for, you were born and raised in Chicago?
1: Yes, on the southwest side.
0: To be in a city that, um, to have grown up in a city that then did you so wrong with, with, I mean, talk about the, the systematic racism, trying to put people of color clearly behind bars. Do you resent this city and this country that is clearly, you know? Promoting, not necessarily promoting directly, but indirectly promoting mass incarceration?
1: Well, I look at it like this. It's always a grand design. Man do not plan nothing that he don't put down on paper first. So after what happened to me, I feel that by being done by the city of Chicago and Illinois, I'm not gonna be free until I just able to just leave all together from Illinois and start anew. Then I start living. But at this point, what they got on paper, I'm gonna always be a targeted man right here in Illinois because my gang affiliations and The way that I've been out here, I done came off my parole and everything, but I still feel as though I'm still locked up. I got one foot in the penitentiary, one out, because I'm targeted. I cannot
0: really live here. Do you fear of going back?
1: No, because I'm not on a path that'll lead me back, you know, Back then, I was on a path that I basically was throwing bricks at the penitentiary time I let me in because I thought I was above the law. But when I was given 31 years for something that I know I did not do and I was left with trying to find it out, it was good because it made me learn the law, if nothing else. And as society is set up, them laws is there to govern things. So if I somebody wronged me now, I won't do nothing but put it in court
0: because I know that's the way society have set it up to be. When you when you say you thought you were above the law before, well, you kind of I want to go in somewhat of a chronological order of can you can you describe yourself. Uh, as a child, and what you know, life like before you got into jail was like for you. Well,
1: when I was coming up, I wasn't your ordinary, what we say, you know, black youth growing up in the city of Chicago, because I'm my great grandmother is German. Okay, and my my and when my my grandmother was black that my grandfather had married. Okay, so I was—I never was raised to be racist. I went to private schools, you know. I—I w- I say I was more privileged than most blacks, the way that I was raised. But I wasn't your no average type child. Wanted to play basketball, baseball. I played all of them sports, know how to play all them sports. But they didn't captivate my attention whereas I would go snake hunting and things of that nature. That's what I enjoyed. While they playing baseball, I would get on my bike and go somewhere where I knew I had no business being on no railroad tracks, moving boulders to try to get me a garter snake, you know, just to bring back to the neighborhood to scare the little girls with. So from there to, to now, coming up to now, all those things of the past, I think about now, right? And I know how I was raised. So when I did get out in the streets, I was more advanced because I had an education. So I moved up and ranked fast. They declared me as a black militant my first time going to the Illinois Department of Correction and Juvenile Division they declared me as a black militant. I was like 14 years old, but it evolved. and But that was the first tag they put on me. And as I said before, everything that's put on paper don't change. They only view me as such because I didn't allow for them to wrong not just me but others. Even when I was incarcerated, when I filed, when I learned the law and started filing civil complaints against the Illinois Problem Correction, I'd always attack the inhumane living condition, lack of health care. And I didn't care how much they used to try to punish me by putting me in they the, the detention area, which is segregated from everybody else. It didn't hurt me. It just made me stronger and made me learn more and more of the law. That was a time of reflection because never did I put in my mind that I wasn't going to ever get out. I only put in my mind, I'm like, well, I don't ask you, God, when you feel as though I got my heart and mind right and I'm ready to go out, you're going to make a way. But it took 22 years for the birds torture to even that kind of worm to even be open, and thankful for the governor letting them guys go exonerating them. It it opened that, that gate. I, when I found out that I was going home, it was more or less like Alma or are they going to play games? So I became a banner child when, after the Stanley Wright case hit, and they they declared that any confession obtained through torture is not harmless error. And that opened the gate for them to file a class action petition to get us all evidentiary hearings. I was one, and, and plumber was the other. He was the only juvenile that was tortured the same way. So once I knew that, I knew I had a chance of going back to court. I, didn't, I But I still had to lay up there... And plead guilty to something that I didn't do in order to get out. Because I had four life sentences. And I had already been locked up over 30 years for something I didn't do. And the way that the law is, if I'm going to challenge them, I would still be in them. Because I could have still went to trial, had a new trial, and been found guilty again. So... I had came from up under the death penalty on that case when it first started and ended up with four life sentences. And I just was able, I just had to maintain, put it that way. And being in there is a world within the world. But I learned though, if you don't exercise your rights, you have no rights. In order for me, when I started to deteriorate medically, when I needed, like, my jaw had got fractured, my nose had got broke, because the originally the, the police had broke my nose on the case. In order for me to get it corrected, I had to file litigation, because they was telling me it's cosmetic surgery. So when I w- learned the law, I advocated for others along with anything I filed. And it showed me that it's discrimination everywhere because the way the system was designed, I had to file a grievance that might be your cousin that I'm filing the grievance on because the way that they have all maximum security institutions in Illinois they are put in rural areas, okay, that the family or the surrounding that stay in the town, in the surrounding town, they work the institution. So it was like a catch-22. But I wasn't afraid to challenge them. And now that I'm out, I see myself trying to find which way I'm going to advocate to try to save some of these youth. Because it done got out of control. Why are they so evil? You know, why are they mean? Why do you think? You know, why are they angry? You know, these are questions that I've been having mental gymnastics with and been examining the the last of the black communities here in Chicago and I see that it's so much killing then went on in these neighborhoods where moms have seen they 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 they, they, they baby daddy just get killed in front of their face, and they so traumatized now majority of them bipolar, so they have to depend on the government or depend on someone because they're not able to be functional. By themselves, and it's, it's sad because it's a mass incarceration is you know the the problem to it. You don't you don't took all the men, and you don't left the women's defense for themselves, and that's off balance. Anything off balance, I'm trying to focus on how can I help some balance get to it.
0: There's there's a lot that I wanna to ask you about all of that, but I, I'm very curious as to the first time when you you said you were 21 when you first went when 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 I, I was arrested for the Burge for for
1: uh, the murder that they accused me of I was 21 going on 22.
0: We talk about your mindset that first day you walk into the into prison.
1: Well. I have done time before, so it wasn't no new world to me. You know, it's a world within the world. Strong survive, the weak live in sorrow with Paris. That's that's just that world, and I survived the streets. So basically, that's where everybody knew everybody from. They street cred, and back then though we just used to fight when shoot each other. We used to fight. We'd meet up at the park. We'd fight. Okay. And it's Or we'd play basketball. We'd fight. But we didn't pick up guns and try to kill each other. And a lot of us used to end up being best of friends through that. But time went on and all that changed. I'm trying to pinpoint on why people not looking at why those changes happened in this city? Because if they ever opened that can of worm on the Chicago street gangs, and that they were financed by the Senior Daily,
0: will you go into that when you say that that Senior Daily financed those street gangs?
1: Yes, he did because at that time, only thing we had to do is go in community. We had community centers and. They they say they open them to get us off the streets, so we won't be hanging out on corners and so on. We had more social programs, okay? And only thing we had to do as being the members just go in and sign sign our name. We got a check every month, even even if I didn't stay there, you know, we still got a check every month. So you actually paying us to not do things in the city. Which, back then, everybody was in their own communities. It wasn't, it always been racism in the city, don't get me wrong. But it, it changed as time went on. And it done changed so much where I'm like, well, here you go 31 years later. Everything he had planned for the city done come to pass. And and it's steady happening because they're steady taking the last of the black community. They're forcing them out. They're raising the rent so high, they can't afford it, so they must move. And a lot of them end up on the streets. And once they end up on the streets, they end up incarcerated or dead.
0: Did you ever fear going to prison as a kid?
1: Nope, because the generation I come up, man the type of things that i seen on TV. They had a lot of gangster movies when I was coming up. Jane, Cagney, Humphrey, Bogart. So they made that scene as something to glamorize, and that's what I I looked at and I liked because I wasn't an average kid. My mother couldn't buy me no truck or robot or none of that, either a gun or a car. That's all I wanted. Either gun or a car, which I didn't realize then that when my father had said, Why every time you take him, you let him bring back a gun? Stop letting him buy guns. But she used to use that to get me to go with her to the store. I'll buy you whatever you want. Okay. And as time went on, that's how I felt as though I had what I needed to have. To survive, because what was shown to me on TV as a shorty.
0: You talk about what you what you saw on TV, and it was more glamorized or romanticized. Will you describe the difference between, you know, what some people might imagine prison is like, and what it is actually like?
1: <laughs> I'm glad you asked that question. A lot of people look at what they see on TV. And that's where they get the information from. That's what they say, okay, that's what happened. Now, most of all the programs they show about a prison that you will see on TV or anything, it always a show really watered down version because that was a dog-eat-dog dog world every day. So they don't show you that part. They show you like they got total control. No. The Illinois Department of Correction did not get total control of them institutions until 2000, I say, no, about 90, 98, 99. You, you familiar with the Richard Speck case, right? I'm not. Okay, well, he was a notorious killer. He had killed. Some nurses, that a nursing home, right? He was sentenced to life, okay? In Chicago. That happened in Chicago. And uh, while he was in the Illinois Department of Correction, they allowed him to have sex change operating and everything. And it hit the media. When it hit the media, that's when they came into IDOC. They put us on lockdown for two years. Stateville, all maximum security was on lockdown for two years. Stateville, Menard, and Pontiac no showers, what you was able to buy from from the comp store or whatever. You was only able to get food items such as just them oodles and noodles and some macaroni and cheese. That's it. And whatever they gave you on them state trays. And, you know, stuff to keep your hygiene up and your right materials. For two years they did us like that. But during those two years, that's when they— Neutralized all came in, neutralized all the leaders, and sent them to the Supermax joints out of the state of Illinois. While Illinois was working on their first Supermax institution called Tams, and right now today Tams has been closed, not due to the unconstitutional things they were doing there to them inmates, but because they just took the taxpayer money. Built this prison on some faulty land and it's seeking now.
0: So nobody gotta account for it. When in in jail, I mean, like take us take us through like what maybe your average day was like. Before the
1: institutions got closed down or after they got closed down? Both. Before they got closed down, I, I would Every institution I was in, I was assigned to LTS, which is Leisure Time Services. So that's dealing with anything, dealing with, you know, uh far as your activities, basketball, weightlifting, you know, whatever, you know, because they had a lot of programs going on. Whatever you are into, my job assignment was sign, painter. I always had something to do with the art room, okay, And that was part of Leisure Time Services. So my day would start off, if I'm not already working on something, I would, okay? But at the time, I had a position for my organization with security. So I had to always make sure that the guy that's running it, you know, I'm up before he up. You know, I don't leave this the sealed house until his feet touched the ground. I let everybody know what I wanted to do and then go to my assignment. When I came in at night, I always had a detail why I might be, you know, volunteer to paint the sale house or something so I'm out at night. So that went, I went from that until being told that I can't get no more jobs because I'm a threat to the safety and security institution to being locked up in the cell and hoping that I'll get a yard because the way they changed the system. But with my art, it kept me where I always had something to
0: do. What was going through your mind when you talked about being locked up in that cell? What goes through your mind on a daily basis? It's inhumane. And
1: that's why when I came, when I first came to the Illinois Department of Correction with four life sentences, I automatically used my gang affiliation and the fact that I had four life sentences to let them know in the dope I can't live with nobody. You know, I I had to tell them because I'm like, there's not enough room for me to have to deal with somebody else's problems every day so I gotta come in the door, let them know, don't put nobody in the cell with me. You know, gave me all this time, don't put nobody in the cell with me. And that was like my laboratory. I did not have no even have no TV in my cell until after like 18 years into them 31. And the only reason I had purchased the TV then is because it was a girl that came in my life, and she left, and she came back. So I called myself punishing her. Yeah, now I want this, I want that, I want. Was well, I, I didn't need it, I just wanted it, and I knew I could have her give it to me. My TV used to be off more than it was on because if I couldn't watch nothing that I could learn something from, I didn't watch it. So why I'm gonna leave it on? Because it was very. I knew what programs I'm gonna watch. And then I, I got rid of that TV, and then had no TV for another five years until the Burge allegations started coming up. And then guys, cause I was, you gotta understand, my surrounding was mostly guys that had life sentences, not never getting out. So their mindset was misery, love company. And it was, it wasn't easy, but I always. Pride myself on making sure that the administration didn't just recognize me as no number. You're going to recognize me as a human being. And I was able to do that by learning
0: the law. Did you ever lose your sanity?
1: No. No. That's why I'm out to try to prove that art can always be used
0: as a therapeutic tool. In many a different settings. When was that? Were you growing up always into art or what kind of yes, triggered that? Because
1: my father, he was a sign painter. So he used back then, he used to be doing them uh, Playboy centerfolds, right? Because they used to put them in lounges. But he had to do it in two sections. And all the rest of my brothers, I had three brothers older than me, that they had the opportunity just like me. But nobody showed interest but me. I, While they outside playing, I'd be right down there looking because this is my opportunity to see a naked lady, you know? And I know my father painting this naked lady. And he'd be like, go outside and play, boy. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And at the same time, I'd go tell little boys, hey, y'all want to see a naked lady? I'm collecting a little money from them for the day that he bring it out. So all they got, man. I just tell them they gonna see a naked lady, you know. And they, my father, he was my my first inspiration on introducing me to art. Okay, and then when I got into the Cook County Jail, I got an opportunity of meeting a guy named Mark Merritt. They had a Pace our program there, right? And he he gave me the keys that I was missing on wanting to learn how to draw and took me through every medium and brought me back down to watercolor. And he told me, hey, Vincent, you master that medium, no medium you can't do. So when I did go down to the Illinois Department of Correction. I just kept my focus on becoming an artist because I was just a practitioner. Even though I used to sell work, I you know, I was a practitioner. I didn't feel confident to call myself an artist. I had to evolve to that point.
0: There was an interview you did that I that I really enjoyed. Um that'll be linked so that people can check it out as well. But I'm gonna read you a quote from something that you said. You said I've learned that if you take the versatility of art and apply it to everyday life, you're less burdened, less worried about things. And that's how I was able to survive for many years. Do you think that without that kind of mindset, you wouldn't have been able to make it out and be as where you are today?
1: I would have probably been destroyed by the environment because then I would have had nothing to do inside the environment that was so negative. I mean, every day. Misery love company, you know. And with my art, I was able to be in my own world, block all negativity out. Now, if you're going to engage in an intelligent conversation, yes, I'll talk to you. Other than that, I was labeled antisocial. What do we have to talk about? I'm trying to find a way out of this madness. Not do things that gonna get me deeper, a deeper hole to stay into this madness. And my art, it always had me where I was able to block out everything man, and be in my own world. So I wasn't caught all day in that chaotic-type, you know, environment, because it's abnormal. It's an abnormal living environment. You know, some of the things I've seen in there, people wouldn't believe that human beings are doing these type of things to themselves.
0: Will, will you give us a few examples?
1: Like, guys that often the homosexuality for history, right? I done seen guys put whole bottles and they had to go to the, and they wrecked them and had to go to the hospital to have them extracted. You know, I done seen guys put feces all over their body. I done seen guys let up here get to the point, they going outside, they don't want to fight no more. So they throwing urine and feces on each other. You know, it it, it 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 turned in really to a mental ward after they changed it over. It, it was like a mental ward. A majority of the guys was under on, on psychosocial drugs, and that's all IDOC is evolving to. And I think they want it that way so that the guys don't won't even try to use their capacity to think for themselves. To try to better their situation so they can always control that environment. Because it's a controlled environment.
0: And you talk about, um, you know, such negativity and and brutality. Now, if you don't mind, this is probably one of the harder questions. Will you, if as much or as little as you want, talk about the kind of brutality and, uh, torture that you underwent within those jails? Man. Just so people can understand the reality of of what goes on.
1: Mine was basically all mental because I challenged them. So they used to try to use all type of mental torture to me. Take my art supplies and, you know, and they see that even when they used to do that, as long as I had a graphite pencil, I was still able to create. So you, you can take the tools, but never can you take the skill. And a lot of guys learn from that by watching me that, man, I don't care what they do. Once you've got it, no, they can't take it away from you. And that world is designed to really break you down to the lowest level and make you feel heartless and 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 reach out only for them for help because they put guys and weak guys in situations where they had to reach out to them for help because they couldn't help themselves. So I know that every day and then the things that I did was, was worth me doing, and I ain't waste my time because I educated myself in there as well. And since I've been out, all the vocational that I have taken, I've been benefiting from. And all of the... No, I can't say that because I was stagnated and forced with to realize another form of discrimination since I've been now. From going from a penal institution to a learning institution.
0: And what about from um more of you know, it seems to me even in this short time talking to you, uh, mentally you're incredibly strong. From a from a physical standpoint, how did they try to break you down?
1: By punishing me for litigation?
0: Does that Which include I- like, I mean, you know, you're in they one area. They would inter- take
1: me from uh, what we call general population, right, and put me in an isolated area, okay? And you you would of your property, you know, things that you done purchased, you know, to help you do your time a little bit better. They would take them and withhold them from you. Like your TV, your radio, yeah, you will have to earn them. You have to be back there a certain amount of time, then they give it to you like you're a kid or something. It, it, it's the it's the mental games that they played you had to be strong on. I never grew attached to none of that. See, you got to unattach yourself from certain things or they'll control you by those things because it's a controlled environment, man.
0: Also, in one of the, the interviews, I think it was in an interview you did. Um, You talk about uh, kind of, I guess, I suppose, I don't know, an altercation in which your nose was broken. And I don't know if it was that same instance, but after some... I done had
1: my nose broke twice. The police originally broke my nose. I didn't find out. I kept proclaiming all the time I was in the county jail.
0: This is in the jail. They broke your nose. Yeah, for, for what? I, for what? When reason? I was arrested. Okay. That scar
1: across the bridge in my nose. They did that. Okay? okay. I just have reopened it since I've been. I have failed and they had reopened. But that's what was really done by Chicago police, and uh, they kept telling me in the county jail, nothing to matter. So by the time I did get to the Department of Correction, it took me a while. But I had I had to come in the door litigating on the fact that they gonna tell me once I seen their head doctor that there's nothing that they can do for me, you know, because it's cosmetic surgery, and I'm like, okay, cosmetic surgery, and I put that I put the pen to work, and lo and behold, it took me like almost two years after they knew my nose broke for them to start sending me out. Sending me all the way from Pontiac or whatever institution I was in. to to, uh, No, back then I was in Pontiac, and they were sending me to the UIC in Chicago. I had to come all the way up here to Chicago to see their specialists. But if I didn't utilize my right, they would continue to get away with telling me, it's cosmetic surgery, it's nothing they can do. And I couldn't breathe.
0: And with, with a lot of the, the Burge victim cases, and for people that, that don't know, I highly recommend going to check out an the, the entire case because it's very important. Um, when you're physically in the j- jail, you know, were, you, were, there, were there ever times that you got into altercations with police or did they try to physically brutalize you while you were in jail?
1: No, that, ain't, that never happened to me. The whole time I was in Illinois, the correction, I only had one in, run in with an officer out of the whole 31 years that I had to actually put my hands on an officer that because he had put his hands on me whereas I never I never had no altercation with police the officers in there because I knew better you know I'm I'm in a controlled environment I'm that's a that's a no win situation so I'm not going to put myself in no situation that I can't get out of.
0: And you're, you've been vocal and, and you maintain your innocence and you know, how How does one who knows they're innocent still keep a sane mindset, especially for 31 years and not get angry and mad all the time?
1: Man, they got to have a strong mind because mind came from me not allowing my environment to engulf me. I always elevate myself. As far as learning something new every day, you know, discovering something new every day that I didn't know or have knowledge of, or exploring a different area in art. Uh, uh, you know, go try some, try some mixed mediums. Or, You know, just trying different things to see what works and what don't work.
0: Do you think that without art, what do you think you'd be like today?
1: My situation would have probably turned out differently. I probably would have steady been in it with the officers, getting more time, and, you know, just letting the environment engulf me.
0: Did you ever have a, a moment of doubt while you were in there that maybe you would never get out?
1: No, I never had that from day one. Because I know I didn't do what I I did. I always believed in the higher power because of the way I was raised. And I done went to Catholic school. I was altar boy, all that. So I know there is a higher power. I, now, when I was incarcerated, I studied every religion there is. I don't know history, on um, so now I know that the power of God is real because from day one I'm like God, you know, you know I ain't do nothing. When you feel like it's time for me to get out, I know you're gonna make a way. And from there, every day I just made sure I prayed. And thanked them for letting me make it through another day
0: for the environment alone do you think that God had this plan for you? I believe
1: he put me back out here now for a reason when I first got out, this month will be four years the fourteenth of this month will be four years that I've been out. I had to do three years parole, but this would be the first year that I don't have no restraints. And I just just look at it now where I know I have a purpose. I know what the purpose is because I'm going to always have good organizational skills. And that's basically what it starts from if you're going to sit down, have dialogue with people to everybody sit down, try to come up with a solution to the problem. I was, I did have a advisory position at the community center, which I resigned from because I had started a job at a steel drum company. Okay. And now I'm, I'm venturing back while I still have some free time, but I'm looking for another job as we speak. But it's not going to be easy because I'm convicted. They got me down in convicted murder. So long as I'm labeled like that, my job opportunities are limited. You know, and as long as I'm in this state, I'm limited.
0: Do you think one day you'll leave this state, this state that kind of s- your entire life, for better or for worse, you were here and you experienced incredible lows here? Would you hope one day to to, to move elsewhere?
1: Um, That's all I'm, I'm working towards doing now. I know where I want to go. See, first where? you got no rent on the bottom. Why? The sun, I need that vitamin D. I can't take this Midwest no more. Because I got righted. so I gotta be for real myself. And I evaluate areas where the crime rate was high before I even got out. And it seemed like the ones I did choose at first have got worse. So I don't, I don't even wanna go with them. And that's what made me come up with Reno because crime rate low. And it's in the desert and too many people don't wanna live out there.
0: Take me back to August fourteenth, twenty fifteen. That's when I got released. What's going on in going on in your head that day? Well
1: I didn't like how they had did my family the first time that they thought I was they had gave me an outdate, okay? To show you they, they played mental torture games with me to the very end. They told they told my gave me an out date. My family came down thinking I'm coming home that day. Okay? And when they get there, they say, oh, they made a mistake. He got five more months. Okay? So my my family had to spend all that money to come all the way down there and they already got plans for a party and all that down the drain, okay? Find my to come get me. My attorney, I let her know. I don't want no news media in my face, none of that. I just want to go home. And that's how I wasn't on the news when I got out like a lot of them guys. I'm not candid. So I'm like, I came home. When I came home, it was everybody that I love, I I'm, I'm thinking, you know, they showing me genuine love, like, but I seen that the only ones that was really showing me that that they love genuine my first cousins, okay. My immediate family, they only than vin- what they seen on TV that I supposed to get some money, okay, and that's what their mind was set on. That $100,000 I supposed to get, right? And I got that like six months after I was out. So they was like, it, it, that's when I, I seen my own loved ones, right? True nature. All of them come to me for loans, you know? I loaned it to them. And to this day, yet, ain't nobody trying to pay me back, you know? And... That made me make a conscious decision the beginning of this year because I evaluate everything, part of my life. I'm like, well, even though they're my family, I got to shine them because they only want to see me fall because the things they have been doing, you know, since I've been out. I didn't have family members trying to send me back to the penitentiary when I was on parole. They're supposed to love me. How so? My sister, you know, once I found out she was using my social security while I was locked up. And I'm like, you know, I'm not going to leave that alone. You know, you're going to jail for identity theft, you know? And since then, family, like, you know, I don't care how you feel. I cannot start living. You, you, you and your excuse to me is that you never thought I was getting out, is your reason for doing it? And then my mother wanted, me, wanted to co-sign it. So I'm like, well, Ma, I love you, but, you know, I got more than principle and pride and dignity and I'm not, I didn't let them people treat me no any kind of way. Why I look like coming out here, letting my own family members try to treat me like that, you know? Oh, it's okay for you to do what you did to my my social. So it 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 it, it, it hurts that the people that I'm meeting, Strangers. It's becoming to be my friends, you know, ones that I depend on, and don't even look at my family
0: now. Do you have anybody that you met while doing time that became, that you became close to that influenced you in jail, maybe a fellow inmate or such?
1: Since I've been out, you know, to show you how I got work, I was right around the corner from my mother's house, right? And she stayed right there, like, like on 70, 78th and Damon, And uh, I was going in the store and another brother, he did 28 years, okay? And uh, he was like, he wasn't sure if that was me or not until I came back out and he called my name, right? And I'm like, man, what's up? Yeah, he's like, man. What you doing? And from me meeting him, and he had already been out six years, and he knew how I was, and then I was antisocial. He introduced me to my first job and my second job. He got me a job first delivering pizzas. And then when the opening came at this steel drum company that he was working at, he got me a job there. So... I I gave that job up for that trip because when I first got that job, hired for that job, the guy asked, anybody got a vacation time coming I said from previous jobs? I said, yeah, I do from the community center. And when it came time for me to go, he like, well, so you quit? And I said, I told you ahead of time that I had this trip coming for five weeks. He said, I can't let you go for five weeks. I said, well, I'm going, you know. This job don't mean that much to me because I'll get another job. You know, this, this hard labor I'm doing anyway, I, I'm grabbing 55-gallon drums off a truck. I'm catching them and putting them on the line from 6 in the morning to 6 in the evening. You know, so I was like, well, since I come back, I, he told me long when I come back, I have. And he say no opening, but I'm not going to stop there. Like, okay, cool. You know, you get an opening, and if I feel like working that kind of job, I will, because I do construction work, and I get tattoos to do. And so, so it's basically like whatever job come my way, they're gonna pay the bills. That's what I'm gonna do.
0: Inside the jail, during during those thirty one years, was there anybody that you grew close to?
1: Yeah, a lot of guys. We know that I seen has skills, right? And they ain't have no out. They don't have no outlet. And and I was I know I my must make an outlet for them. That's artists,
0: but they don't have no outlet. Do you think the only way to survive that long in jail is to have an outlet?
1: Got to have an outlet. See, if you don't have no no support system. Out here, you really don't exist in because what they give you to survive off of a month, you can't really, far as they little state pay they'll give you. How much do they give you? $10. A month. A month. You know, if you don't have no job assignment or none of that, you get $10 a month. That's supposed to buy all your... Hygiene product, your writing materials—that's what they give it to you for.
0: So if you don't, if you spend ten dollars in one month because you wanna get your right, your artist supplies, and you you won't. You can have-
1: never do it. <laughs> you can never do it. You you can never do it because the art supplies. See, they had took the art supplies out of IDOC. Guys had to file litigation on the First Amendment violation, freedom of expression, that had been incarcerated for a while, and that's the way that they've been communicating with their family and loved ones, and they won. And that's what made them start putting art supplies back on their commissary. They had took all of my art supplies and made me send them on.
0: I remember um, when I was going, I was reading don't remember exactly which article it was, but there's another really uh, beautiful article that we'll link to the listeners so that they can check it out. Where it's, I think it's some of your postcards. Yeah, the other month greeting card. There's, we're, you know, and I think you said that a lot of people would try to get you to, to or they would pay you to make them um, for yeah. loved ones.
1: That's basically how I had developed my own income. It really started from the county jail with envelopes that I only did with ink pen. When I got to the Illinois Park Correction, I was able to expand that. I started doing nothing but greeting cards. And it, it took care of me. I didn't have to be dependent on if somebody going to send me some money to put on my book so I can go to the store, I didn't, have to, I didn't have that type of burden on me. I knew the only way that I didn't have something is I was lazy. And I had built a clientele of people that I drew for regularly with all oh, their thinking of you cards, all oh, their birthday cards, all oh, their anniversary cards. So... They would introduce people to him because they'd tell him, hey, you know, he' going to charge you, but nobody could touch his work. I had developed my own pen and ink technique that it takes very little color to give it life. And that technique, it took years for me to develop, to be able to work with that ink in the fashion that I do. So... Like I say, that's how I would survive, I
0: have my own
1: income.
0: I was talking to a, to a friend who also, I made read your, uh, some of your interviews, and she had a great question. So I got to give her credit for, for asking this question. What's one thing that you would like to express through your artwork, but find it difficult to or find yourself incapable of expressing?
1: A common ground between mankind. Just a common ground where no racism, no hate are balanced with mankind. You know, that's what I would want to express. Whereas, when I had just—I'm glad you mentioned that, because when I had just went on that trip, I went down there with torture on my
0: mind. The, are you talking about the residency recently? Yes. So just so people are clear, um, Vincent did a—actually, uh, the, well, the reason that we, that we were able to get a hold of you is because of Anna. So first of all, thank you, Anna. Um, and Vincent and Anna were part of 10 artists that went down to Captiva for five weeks— an all-inclusive kind of residency. And so so take it away from there.
1: Okay. Now, when I went down there, by they had me down as an activist, I was basically looking at the community center. And I had torture on my mind. So I was having, I was steady trying to develop and visualize torture And every time I kept doing it, I kept seeing too many different aspects and ways to visualize torture, right? It would take you doing a collage or something, okay? And I was like, one day I go to walk with one of the other artists she was she was a, a a frost. Frost was uh she played the violin, okay? And we walking to the beach and she she asked me, right, she said, Vincent, why would you wanna revisit that, right? And it's like a light bulb went up in my head, right? Hold up, I'm not here for that. I'm here to enjoy this, right? And next thing you know, my dog died while I was gone. I had a little schnauzer that we found. got a good year. If he was old when we got him. But anyway, he died while I was there. Like, after I was there two weeks, he died. And I took that and worked with it. I made a collage of him after reading Rosenberg work. I made a collage of him. I put him on t shirts. Uh, and, and at the same time, I was working on one of the hardest pictures that I had to ever do. It's a portrait of my nephew that got, he died a couple of years ago on a, uh, a one of three wheelers. Accident right there on Lake Shore Drive. You know, he had died instantly. But that had been one of the hardest portraits I ever had to do. I took that with me, and I was able to complete that. And I did a few more pieces while I was there. Everybody was surprised on the day of show on how was I able to create all what I created in that short period of time and I was doing so much other stuff because I was cooking when we didn't have nobody to cook for I stepped up I can cook I got culinary art certificate I can cook what y'all want okay so it was at the end it looked like how could where you find the time to do all that but I'm glad I got that experience. It made me, like my friend that I told you, got me the two jobs since I have been out. He came by. He knew my dog was dead, right? He looking at all the work I got in front of him that I done did, right? And he like, oh, you went down there and got your groove back, right? So I say, uh, yeah, he sit down. So I know he didn't pay attention to this big old picture I got on the wall of my dog, right? It's galosh, right? I said, uh, I said, yeah, man, Blackie behind you. And he turned around, he looked, he jumped up, he like, man. He said, man, you did that. I said, yeah, man. He became my inspiration while I was there. He, he, I, didn't, I didn't look at the fact he he died. I looked at the fact that he's a subject that I can choose that, man, everybody love. They pets. And I took it and I worked with
0: it. Where do you hope your art takes you in the future
1: well it could, it could send out a message to those that glorify trying to live life on a fast track, thinking that fast money is you know the way to live to if you apply yourself. You can accomplish anything. You might not, it might not get there as fast, but if you take your time, you'll get there. And just being an artist, I've seen since I've been out that that's like a secret society, like a a cult. I've been kicking at the door and kicking at the door. And God sent me a blessing. Where well, the residency I just left, I looked at all other residency, none of them compared with that. So, it was good. I got the experience that it, it 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 done ignited something in me now.
0: What's it ignited?
1: Well, I can use my art to bring the youth to me. You know.
0: What do you hope to do? when, when if the youth come
1: to you? To show them it's a better way. I know it took care of me when I was put in a controlled environment. Out here, you got machines. It just be like printing money. It You got to develop the skill.
0: How have you, in your time post-jail, post-August 14, 2015, um... You talked about how, I don't remember exactly where, but how they make absolutely zero effort to help people rehabilitate back into the proper world. It's not
1: designed to, you know, first of all, what is rehabilitation? They saying that, there's a law saying that you supposed to be put in the Illinois Department of Correction or any one of them DOCs, whenever they put you in there, so that they can you can come up to a level to be let back into a free society, okay? Whereas all said and told, there's no such thing. When the whole structure has been torn down, especially in the maximum security institutions, they done sold off all their industries. So them guys don't have access to programs no more. They got a mandatory law right now in Illinois that if you don't have a 6.0 reading school, it's mandatory school. But yet still they're getting away with not having schools in the maximum security institution. When you got a law in the book say if they don't have a 6.0 reading level, it's mandatory school. So where's the mandatory school with that?
0: How have you been able to, like talk to us a little bit about how you reintegrated or are still in the process of reintegrating, you know, trying to get back somewhat of a normal life.
1: Oh man, that that's been kinda like an obstacle course for me. Because that money, okay, it it you a wedge between me and my family because what they think is right is wrong to me. So never am I going to think otherwise. If I know it's wrong, you know, it's wrong. You can't make me think what's wrong is right because that's how your mind works. And... They profess to be Christians or whatever, or have a higher power, or whatever. But what I believe in is stronger than that. That, you know, you have to show God that, you know, you believe instead of just speaking. You have to show through your action. What have you did toward the uplifting of mankind today? You ask many of that question, they'll just look at you. But what I'm what I believe in, I must go out my way every day and find that, that one that need help. And if I'm able, help that one.
0: Bring you back a little bit, talking about family, there's also something else that you said in an interview. And you say it's the psychological impact of everything that's changed, that's hard. And you say that with regards to your daughter who is seven years oh, old man. when you went away. And you came and when you got out she was thirty-eight with three kids.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh we still ain't communicating because she told me something. I don't I don't know why she felt that though she used psychological warfare on her mother that it would work on me, right? Where she was talking about you were the bad mama and all that and, you know, emotionally it just be tearing her down. She tried it with me. And she told me she say as long as my mother mad at you, I'm not talking to you. So I'm like, well, okay. Because I tried to, I got engaged with her mother. I tried to rekindle an old fire with her mother, but it came a time I needed her support. She was able to support and help her family member, but not help and support me. I'm like, no, I can't marry no woman like that. You know And I even asked for my engagement ring back. And she refused to get that back, right? And I'm like, I know God got a plan for me. Because she's steady thinking that, okay, uh, oh, well. And like I just told her, I said, I don't let the court decide. That's like stealing. You know? I say, "You, you, you haven't returned my ring back yet. That's like stealing. And I only bought the ring to open the line of credit. Because when I got out, I had zero credit. Okay, I got this money. You know, I know I got to open a
0: line of credit. So you bought her the engagement ring after getting out? Yes. Okay. And how do you, you know... I imagine when you're in jail and you're thinking about what it's going to be like when you get out. How has it been different than what you imagined when you were in jail?
1: Man. It hurts when you're ones that you really got love in your heart for hurt you before anybody else. So it leaves very little room for outsiders once they hurt you. And I know I had got out angry, right? And I'm like, I'm not going to let this anger consume me. You know, what happened do happen and I'm going to just strive towards success every day. Regardless on how my day might start off, whatever, I try to find something to do. You know, if I find the work, I do the work. I don't care what it is. If it's landscaping, you know, if it's a construction work, whatever work I can find, I do it. Okay? But I just got back. I... I thought I was going to go back to my, the deployment I left, and I see that it really not, might not be in the picture for me, because I'm 57 years old. How how long you think I'm going to be able to do that? Uh, so, my art, I know I, I would love to do that full time, because I know I can evolve from it, but I have bills. Now I'm trying to hold on to what I got. So that make me have to every day, you know, come up with some money to pay some bill. And that's how I've
0: been living. And it keeps me preoccupied, pretty much. How often do you think about your time in jail?
1: I don't, I don't think I never will because it will make me f- f- angry. 31 years of my life taken away and how it was taken away. So I, 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 I like that happened as a chapter in my life. I must continue to stay focused of the here's and now's and keep moving.
0: Do you have any advice for people that spend so much time wrongfully, or even if they did do whatever they were charged with, in kind of adjusting back to this world after that you wish that maybe somebody had advised you on on how to go about regaining somewhat of well, normal life? They must
1: first have some type of su- support base or they're going to end up going around the same people Doing the same thing that he was doing and end up back in there. I to this day yet, yeah, I haven't been around none of the same people that the few that left, I see them when I go around my mother's house, they doing the same thing they were doing out left. You know, steady drinking all day and all, no. Nah, you know, they're not prospering in their life. I only been home four years. And I know I'm doing a whole lot better than them. So I know I'm on the right track. I'm not standing at one point for instance, I was trying to get SSI right. And I know my little brother get it right. So I asked him, I say, how much they give you a month? He said 700 and something. I'm like, that's not enough to live off of. And you actually lay up here and sit and wait on them to give you that? Every month with all these jobs out here, man, you don't want nothing in life. And when I showed him my first paycheck, I'm like, you see that paycheck? That's and I get paid every week. I said, you must labor in order to prosper. I'm like, you, you depend on the government. That's where you're going to stand still, just like that.
0: What's the best piece of advice you've ever, you were ever given in jail? I
1: don't gave many You know, a lot of brothers used to come to me because they used to see that I was so strong and they'd gather strength for me. And especially the younger ones, they used to get all that time and, and they knew I had been locked up for a while. And they'd be asking me questions like, how, how do I do this, man? I got 60 years. I, 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 how, how do I do it, right? And I used to be, you know, especially when they involved their mothers and You know, I be like, you can only do it one day at a time. But always just, you know, let your mama know you love her. You didn't didn't mean to let her down or whatever, you know, to keep her strong. You know, if she's the only one that fought, you got to keep mom strong. I say, you know, it hurts your people to come through, have to be treated like a criminal just to visit you. And you know they don't like it, don't send them through it. You know, don't have them... You know, go through having to experience that when you could avoid it. Because the way they slam slammed the doors behind them, and, you know, and, and, and I used to hate to see them do the little kids like that on a visit. So when they come through the big door, they're slamming, you know. I've seen it start on a lot of little kids. So I'd be like, you should have your child be a certain age before you have them come visit you. I gave out so much advice in there, it was because every day my time was consumed on doing something in that negative environment of a positive nature. Okay, so since I've been out, right, I only look for positive in everything. I don't care even if it's bad, or they say it's bad, no. It got to be some some good that can come from them. and I I I feel as though when you look at the news, everything on the news is depressing. I don't watch no news because it's depressing. They make you think everything bad is newsworthy instead of showing me something good that's happening in the world every day. I feel that's newsworthy, but the way that the system is designed, it's like people get their information that way and that's what they go on. They don't use their minds no more at all. If very few people read a book or pick up the newspaper, they just Google something. They want to find out. That's not using your mind. And I believe if I... Us as human beings, if we continue down that path, allowing it, a machine to think for us, and, and taking those normal things, uh, exercising the brain out the equation, we don't.
0: What was it like for you when you when you got out and you see all this new technology? Your first maybe interaction? Well, with I, like had,
1: a... I had, I had, and so many computer books. I was fascinated by the technology. Right? Had you had,
0: have you have you ever seen like a, like an iPhone? It, like when you get out and you see my like these touch. Phone. Yeah.
1: My first phone was an Android. No, my first phone was a government phone. Right. My sister said, here, you can use this here. I burnt the phone out in one day. Right? And I'm like, no, I want a real phone. I don't want one of these. I don't. You can keep that phone. And my niece. She was working for Sprint, okay, and she had uh she had one. They gave her a phone. It was an Android. Uh, it was a Flex Two. It was a special like edition, right? It's my favorite color, red too. She gave me the phone. She like now you just have my mama put me, put you on the line, right? So once I got that phone, it was like okay, now I got a little internet and I got you know I could do this but. Luckily, I had got a chance to spend time with my little niece before she went away to college to program my first pad. Before I had a phone, I had a pad, one one little pad, right? And she was showing me how to program it like three days before she had to go back to college, right? And she was like, "Man, Uncle Vincent, you learn fast." I like I don't read about the technology, so I know what application mean and I I know the, the language. I just had to get my hands on it, right? And she was like, help me put my Facebook page together. But I was like a kid with a new toy. And then I got my phone. You couldn't tell me nothing then. you know. But I only used my phone really to talk on. I used my pad, you know, for social media and all that. But my phone I only was using to talk on. And when I started have to travel to school every day, from where I live all the way to 5500 North St. Louis, because I was going to Northeastern Illinois University, I went to, for two fall periods in one spring semester. When was this? Uh, year before last. Yeah, the year before last. But after, after experiencing discrimination there, uh, I'm like, well, it ain't meant for me to go through that route to get to the level I want to get on the arts track,
0: Because I think you, you also talk about how when you're filling applications out for these schools and they talk about, you know, you have uh, to fill out the fact that... The first art school
1: I tried to go to was Chicago Art Institute of Illinois, downtown. I had been accepted... Didn't have to do orientation because I had enough credit. I, I didn't have to do orientation. And next thing I know, I was asked for, they wanted me to file a criminal disclosure. Once I filed a criminal disclosure, the same woman that had, no, I got the credentials to be in school and all of this here, she was told not to communicate with me no more or nothing. And they straight denied me, okay? So I had called my attorney, you know, Joey Moe, once sitting on the board for the community center now, right? And I told him, same one got me out. And I told her, I, say, uh, I said, I just laid up here, and they denied me. School, after I had went through the process, I was in the door, they wanted me to file a criminal disclosure. After I filed a criminal disclosure... You know, they, they, I wasn't accepted there,
0: but I was already in, you know. What's going on in your mind? You go through 31 years, then you're starting to, like, get to what you want to do. What's going on in your head? I'm glad she, she is still there in my life, because
1: after that, she didn't do nothing but put me around art teachers, surround me around, you know, positive people, and She introduced me to a friend named Sarah Ross. She teach at the Art Institute of Chicago. And she told me, no, Vincent, let me look into what you looking for, right? I said, I want to get my graphic art and design degree, right? Make that my first bachelor, right? So she like, okay. So she like, look, I found a perfect school for you at Northeastern Illinois University, okay? So I was going to main campus. And once I laid up there and the guy failed me art 101, I knew it wasn't, look, I passed my 3D art class, I passed my 2D art class, I passed my art history, but I failed art 101 because... I wouldn't draw the way that he trying to teach these kids to draw, and I know it's wrong. He teaching them to draw backwards, and any book that I put in his hand, he gonna tell them learn graphite first. No, you're not gonna let that and, and, and pull that wool over my eyes. I know what you are teaching is wrong, and I'm gonna speak it. You know, and he didn't like it, and so he just he just gave, he just felt me, and I'm saying to myself. I still got time before I bring some litigation against him because I keep looking at the fact that if I don't bring litigation against him, I'm gonna be forced to pay that bill. You know, that I know he done it willingly and knowingly, you know. I state discrimination. I know he did. And I'm cause I got affidavits from students. They like, hold up, how could he find how could he how could he Failed you, and you completed every subject he put in front of you. And, and I'm like, would y'all be willing to give me affidavits? And I got affidavits from them. So it's, it's up to where I'm going if I'm going to use them or not. I still have time. But after that, I'm like, no more school for me.
0: Is there anything in particular from your time at school that, that you felt like was incredibly helpful was the best thing you learned from those other classes
1: uh, the the uh, my 3d class my uh, every, everybody that seen them that I did at my first time doing a plane and that was my first time doing a sculpture in wire okay and the subject was a tattoo. That could fit a part of the human anatomy. Okay? So I did a whole sleeve. And I had also incorporated watercolor paper at the top because what I did the piece I did, I, I wanted to have like wings coming out the top, right? And and I wondered, man, how can I do this? But I did it. And at the same time, my art professor my 3D professor, I used to sit right there in front of his desk, and he seen me taking the wire. by everybody else. They, you know, they just, you know, I'm taking wire, and I'm twisting it because I got to commute so far. I don't want to have to keep trying to put this back in shape. <laughs> so I'll make sure it's real strong when I go to put it together. He gave me an A-plus on that piece. And when I had showed it in my presentation in Cativa, you know, they were like, everybody like stick with your three D versus, you know, stick with your three D. And that was my first time doing that. Uh, my first time doing a plane. So I know if I really put my hands on it and explore it, I can do it. And that might what get me up to. There.
0: There's something that I've been thinking about since you said it. It's a little bit random. But but why is red your favorite color?
1: Red, that's not my favorite color. You said it was your favorite color. That my, my favorite color is purple.
0: Why is purple
1: your favorite color? Because it's a sign of royalty, you know. And I always loved purple from a little shorty. But now that I'm an artist and I know how to mix colors, right, I know that purple is basically nothing but red and blue. And by me being an Aquarius, right? When's
0: your birthday? The
1: 27th of January. 27th? Yeah. I'm the 22nd. See, <laughs> you know, by me being an Aquarius, right, you know, blue always coming in equation somewhat. Because you see my car blue. Blue always coming in equation.
0: Do you think about colors a lot when you're out in the... I'm sure it's a little bit more colorful out here than back in the... Yeah, if
1: I'm in the environment. Say, for instance, I just say I don't go to the beach one day. That's Don't you know that's something I haven't done yet since I've been home? Really? I have not been on the lakefront. You know, I haven't had time to do none of that. You know, It's not that I'm not able to get from where I'm at today. It's just that I haven't had the time to do those type of things.
0: What kind of things do you hope to do? Well, there's I actually have two questions that's related to that. As an artist... What do you hope to do? And just as a person in everyday, you know, I mean, people you know, people say a bucket list, but what are some things that you hope to do now that you're out and, and free? Well, what I want
1: to do as an artist is establish myself as a known artist, okay? And I see now that door opportunity has been opened, I don't stay the course on it. The time that I spent down there, the artists that I met, I know that I made, I left an impact on them by me being the individual I am. And I, I, like I told them one night, we at the beach out, and I'm like, y'all know what? We right here, right now, this moment, for a reason. It's up to us if we take advantage of it. So I automatically started a collaboration, you know, dialogue on collaborating with uh the the photographer, you know, his name, Matt. I'm mean, like, man, let you be the only one that can film me. They gonna have to come to you. So he was like, okay, and he started interjecting more oh, ideas how we can go with this. I'm like, that's what we go through. I like, like I can take your pictures, you know, they're yours. I can take your pictures and do them in whatever mediums you want me to, even if I take one picture and do it in all the different mediums I could do it in, you know. I said, me and you could have a show that many artists don't do, where our show would be where they can see the actual photograph and meet the actual photographer and the artist so it was meant for me to go on that trip because it has like rejuvenated my my art my art and my organizational skills because everybody is still staying in touch with each other like they promised to do, because I'm here with four of the artists that was there. Yeah, I'm here with four of them in Chicago. Yep, so I just went to one of them was having a show, the one that played violin, Frost. I went to just last week to see a show that she was giving, and me and Dorothy... We tried to get us some studio space, which I done got some that's available to us. And I used to get her mother's name and her name mixed up, Eliana and Ileana. you know, because their names was so they were spelled. I the same, right? Eliana and Ileana one and seven. So, but look, that's here, okay. So. Everybody's been staying in contact. I know that if we come together, we can lay up there and continue to lay up there and use what we got from there to make something come from it.
0: And as a person just living out in this world, what, what are some things that you hoped? I mean, you said maybe you should go visit the lake at some point, but what are other things that you kind of look forward to now that you're now that you're out?
1: To get in that pallet one day and just just ride, man. I mean, just ride. Know that I'm financially able to do it. I don't have to worry about nothing and just get in that pallet one day. And just ride.
0: Just to wrap things up. By the time it's all said and done. And hopefully we've got many more years of prosperous and and healthy lifestyle. How do you hope to be remembered?
1: As as always being one that never look at the bad side of the coin but always bring the good out of any bad.
0: Vincent? Thank you so much for doing this. I think you're. uh, When Anna first told me about your your story, I was like, I I need to talk to this guy. And um, and thankfully, you know, we came here to Chicago for for just a day, but we were able to do it. And I think you're, you know, people, the listeners will see your art and and hear your story. And and I know, just speaking for myself and my dad, who's also here, I'm sure that for for me. Um, your story is very inspiring, and more so your mindset of you know keeping sane for all that time. and just thank you for doing this. Wow.